when we go together to the altar for lifetime, because, you know, divorce is always so bloody expensive, right? <laughs> Welcome to Meet the Leader, the podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Andrea Fuder, Volvo's chief purchasing officer. She'll share what she looks for in a good partnership and the vetting question she never forgets to ask. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lacina, and this is Meet the Leader. I will take all my capacity capabilities to align with the right guys. Andrea Fuder is the Chief Purchasing Officer, or CPO, at Volvo a company you know well from its trucks, buses, construction equipment, and power solutions. As CPO, she has a unique insight on partnerships, and through those partnerships, a unique impact on how the company can meet a number of big goals, including protecting the climate and protecting human rights. As Andrea puts it, each sourcing decision is a sort of wedding, and given that context, it's critical that you always make the right match. I talked to Andrea at the annual meeting in Davos this May, and she explained all the factors that she and her team reviews to evaluate both partnerships and their leadership, including the surprising thing that she always checks. She'll talk about all of that and share a book recommendation that will charm you. But first, she'll talk about resilience. In a time of disruption, when supply chains have been in disarray and more economic change is around the corner, She'll share her definition of resilience and how leaders can be prepared. Yeah, I think what we have seen, uh, Linda, now with in, in the last month and years is that resiliency is definitely something we have to work on and to be better prepared. And when we talk about resiliency, there are many definitions. Uh, for me, the key of resiliency is really to have diversified supply chains. And what we can definitely not accept that for some key technologies, we have monopolistic hubs in the world. So this is something definitely we have to fix. But I think also what we saw in the pandemic, being prepared for such an event, we have to be more proactively thinking. If, if this will happen again, you know that we have our checklist ready, the fire brigade can go out and know exactly what to do and that we don't lose time to really define the to-do list. So I think here, this is a key learning for me and where we have to come together now proactively to protect ourselves if we come again into one of these challenging situations. Is there one particular crisis that you guys are kind of like, yeah, we, we probably should keep that top of mind? Being the chief purchasing officer of such a big group and, and, and having been through the corona, having been through so many bottlenecks with semiconductors, transport, name it. For me personally, the most dramatic one was the Ukraine war. You know, I'm German and I grew up in a divided country. And, you know, I, I was standing in Berlin on the wall and I thought, this can't be right. And therefore, one of the happiest days in my life was actually the 9th of November, 89. And I remember exactly where I was sitting when in the news came, the wall is open. And then to experience the 24th of February this year was one of the saddest days in my life because I really have hoped 
that we have left is behind. So for sure, on a personal note, this has impacted me most. And how so? How are you changed? How is your perspective different? I think we have to understand that all the values we are used to, they are not coming for free. You know, so so for me, it was then even more that a value-based leadership is what we need and that we understand in, in my daily business with whom do we want to work. And for me now, everything starts from the top. I want to have partners in my supply network who have the same vision, who share the same values, and I will take all my capacity capabilities to make this happen, to align with the right guys who really thinking about protecting climate, protecting resources, but also protecting people, respecting human rights and allowing everyone to grow and to live in a safe and healthy environment. And how, how do you do that? What's your strategy or your approach? Well, we have been very early out with what we call the supply network code of conduct, where we are very clear on what we expect. And proactively, we are making audits. So before we make any sourcing decision, this is a key area to check. And sometimes... It can be that it is just a questionnaire, but when we are in critical countries and also talking about critical things we are buying, like services, then we go there and make life checks, life audits, that we can be really sure that the partner we are marrying, because every sourcing decision (laughs) in a way is a wedding, right, is the right one. And what are you trying to guard against? What, What do you want to make sure that you don't see when you do those life checks? Of course, it is the basic stuff, you know, fair salaries, freedom of speech, all the human rights, working times, all these things are checked. Like I said, we have here very clear requirements and I think we are very ambitious and very specific in what we ask for. Having this in place, how has this sort of improved both efficiencies and just in general alignment? How has that improved things? Like I said, everything starts with having partners we trust and and we think they share the the same values. And what also has changed now in this crisis that we don't think in this very transactional first tier relation. So what we are now doing uh, much more than before, we think in supply network and we really connect to the guys which are important for value creation, but who could also be potential risk. So we, we, we are thinking now much broader and we have left this only having a constant dialogue with the first tier supply partners. And I think that's something which is now strengthened even more. I think it's interesting how you talk about these partnerships as relationships, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is what it is. You know, and I I made this joke with every sourcing decision is a wedding, but this is a little bit how I see it. So so we put a lot of kind of front loading work before we really go to sourcing decisions. When we go together to the altar, you know, then uh, it is for for lifetime, because you know divorce is always so bloody expensive, right? <laughs> and how do you find the right match? 
<laughs> unfortunately we have not these fantastic apps you know? <laughs> there's no tinder unfortunately for purchasing uh, for, this is, for trucks right? is something we should we should think about right no I, I i think it's a lot about investing time in meeting the top guys because at the end of the day uh, i think the tone of a company is very much given by by the top guys so i really like to meet them and have discussion and i ask myself do i have trust in how this company is led by their top leader and it's hard to maybe put a finger on why you trust somebody but are there ever tells where you you say to yourself you know what this this just might not be a fit for us right are there things that you kind of look for and you're like you know what not for us. Well, what, what do you look for? When when we decide on partners, we have quite a big piano we play. So we look to quality expectations. We look to technology performance. We look to delivery precision. We look to code of conduct. How do they treat their people? And, and just as a perhaps a story, when I visit a supply partner, you know what I always check is the canteen. <laughs> because just to see with how much love this canteen is set up, it tells me how they value their employees. But to continue, of course, now key element of our decisions is, of course, also sustainability and, of course, competitive price. Whereof I, you know, we are in a B2B business. So what we really look to is total cost of ownership. And also, I want to have the right price, if you understand what I mean. So I'm not at all interested in dumping prices because they're not sustainable. I want to have that the right price so that we feel uh, everyone is in a win-win situation. Because this is my definition of partnership, Linda, is creating a win-win situation. And then it is robust and it is sustainable and it is long-term. When you're looking at those canteens and you think, you know what? They're not taking care of their kids, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, 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 but that's right. This would be for me, for example, a factor to say I have no trust in this company. Yeah, yeah. What are you looking for? What would be an example of maybe something that maybe there's a gap there? The easiest way to find this out is always to ask yourself, would I like every day to have my sandwich in this room? Or would I like to choose from what they offer me there? And would I love to, to have my... 45, 60 minute break, whatever, to spend in this room. So it's easy, it's simple, and perhaps it sounds a, a little bit too simple, but I think this is showing basic treatment yeah. of, of, of the people. As chief purchasing officer, you have a very unique perspective into, into Volvo. Is there something that, that would surprise other people about you know, sort of your take on either what's needed for sustainability or what's needed for partnerships? I mean, What's something that maybe only only somebody in your position would be able to understand? You know what, Linda? I love this question. And do you know why? Because I think the purchasing profession is a little bit unknown. Everyone knows what to expect from engineering. Everyone knows what to expect from sales and marketing. But I think if you want to see something good in, in this supply crisis, it is really this purchasing profession gets the, the right attention. What I love to be in purchasing is 
that you have to spin so many plates every day. You know everything of today's business. You know everything of the business of the future. You work with all teams in the company and you have this outside in view and inside out view. This is what I love. I'm a mechanical engineer and I started my career uh, being a quality engineer. And then I went to logistic, but then purchasing. This was for me then my final destination because I just love to be so much by day in the web. And also what I love now in this transformation journey, we can make a difference because 70% of our value is coming from the supply network. So I love the thinking that we as purchasing officers, we can use our purchasing power to really make a difference. The way what we ask from our supply network will be cascaded down so we can really change things and people should be aware of it. So, like I said, I love to be a chief purchasing officer. At the moment, of course, it's not the easiest job in life, but it is definitely a job which gives you a lot of possibilities to influence the world of tomorrow. You said you like to be a spider in the web. What does that mean? Working with all teams in the company, but also not getting stuck in this company bubble because you are always also uh, working with so many partners around you that you really understand what's going on. Macropolitics, currency, inflation. You have a good understanding of the company, but also of the world, the different countries you are active in. And like I said, lovely. Given all this, what is maybe, if there was going to be one top thing that you're going to keep in mind with the supply crisis that we're in, what's one thing that you remind yourself of or a question you ask yourself of to kind of stay on the right path? I ask me every day in the decisions we take, do we do enough to safeguard the business of today, but at the same time make us as a company ready for the future requirements. So every day you have to, to balance out performance questions of today with transforming questions of tomorrow. How, how do you think that you've changed as a leader, maybe since the beginning of your career? I understand now much more that whatever you want to achieve, you have to take people with you. If you think as a leader, you can just command that things are happening, it will actually not happen. I take a lot of my time to talk about, first about the why I would like people to do things. Because when they understand the why, then they will be much more engaged to be with you on the journey. I think here yeah, I got more mature as a person to understand that. Everything starts and ends with people. They are by far the highest value we have in our company. So never forget to take people with you. What's something you do now uh, to take people with you that maybe wouldn't have occurred to you, you know, maybe at the beginning of your career and beyond just sort of like recommending an esteemed colleague for a promotion or something? What's another way that you sort of do that, You that you kind of bring folks along? What, what I also think is important that I offer people always the opportunity to grow, uh, to develop people also by cross-team mobility. So I'm very much a fan to also 
motivate my people to go out from purchasing to other teams to, to learn new things, to go to engineering, to go to production, to go to sales, so that they, with their knowledge, they see other opportunities. And I also love to bring in colleagues from other teams because I, I when we talk about growth, permanent, uh, constant growth, uh, we should not only think in growing in career, it's also growing in experience, seeing situations from different angles. Uh, this will also make us stronger as a company. So I'm a big fan of that as well. Is there a piece of advice that has really spoken to you and that's that's helped you? Advice perhaps I give to my people. Very often I meet fantastic new colleagues who are just uh, super engaged, super hungry, and perhaps also, you, you know, are so much on this career path or that they tend to chop a hopping. And what I always say to them, guys, take your time to really make a difference in the job you have today and to harvest from what you have done. And then when you feel now I, I have made my fingerprint, now I harvest from the hard work, now I'm ready for the next challenge, then go to the next position in discussion with your manager. So don't think just that through job hopping you can make a career because at one point in time, knowledge really is important. When I look to myself, I, I have worked in quality, I've worked in logistic, I've been in many different purchasing positions. But now I consider myself to be a leader who can fly high, strategic, but also if needed, I think I have the knowledge to drill deep, especially when something unexpected is happening. And, and this is only possible because I had in my career always a pace which was healthy. And sometimes I think the our youngsters are perhaps a little, a little bit overambitious. Sure. sure. And maybe don't realize the power of sort of relationship building and understanding capabilities that can only come with, with time and being exactly. a, a spider in a web, you know, having all those threads, knowing exactly. the threads. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. Is there a book you recommend? Linda, now, now this is the moment where you want me to be super smart or I will come with fantastic... <laughs> You've already been super smart. I don't even... <laughs> you know, now I should bring up uh, fantastic titles of Proust. super <laughs> top-notch books, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I would actually uh, take a completely different approach. You know, one, one book I would still recommend because I love it since years is Pippi Longstocking. I love it. And you know why? Why? Because Pippi is still today a role model for many things. Because she is strong, she does not take care about gender-specific roles, and she demands, even from the grown-ups, that she's treated on eye level. And also her leadership skills, you know, she was a great leader. She motivated people to follow her by convincing them. For me, she is still today a role model of a true leader. That was Andrea Fuder. 
This episode of Meet the Leader was produced and presented by me with editing by Jerry Johansson, studio engineering by Juan Toran, and Gareth Nolan, driving studio production. And that's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.